Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for May 6, 2022. April's employment report revealed the continued strength of the job market, which is still recovering from the record job losses resulting from the pandemic. How long can this trend continue? And what does this say about the overall economy? And what does this mean for the Fed, which again raised rates this week with the hopes to slow down inflation? Nationwide's chief economist, David Burson, and senior economist, Ben Ayers, take a closer look at the employment report and discuss the potential impact of the Fed's recent actions. And now, here's David Burson. Hi, everyone. A, a very big week in the economic and financial market world. Certainly a, a week of huge gyrations in the stock market. But the uh, the employment report, April, came out. And, and that's usually considered the, the biggest economic data of the month. Ben, what, what were the key points in the uh, employment report for April? Well, I think the, the key point is that the job market remains strong. Uh, we had... 428,000 in job gains. There were a few downward revisions the previous months, um, but yet again, a, a very strong gain in, in job hiring, mainly led by demand. Um, we, we got a number from the BLS that there were 11.5 million job openings in March, and, and clearly the, a lot of people jumped into those openings, and there were very good job numbers across the board. Um, really looking sectorally, very good gains, particularly on the service sector side, as that sector still continues to right size from the pandemic, but pretty good gains within the manufacturing sector as well. So really on the hiring front and on the demand front, all very positive news and continuing to tell us that the labor market is moving forward, it's tightening up and, and a lot of positive things happening with with the job hiring. You know, I, I agree with all that, but, you know, supply and demand and, and obviously demand is very high and, and supply is still solid. But average hourly earnings, you know, the price of labor, and I know it's a, a not a, a comprehensive measure, um, but that grew at a somewhat slower pace in April and, and over the last 12 months. Is, is that telling us that demand for labor is, is slowing or is it just like a, a one month blip? I think at this stage, I'm going to call it more of a one month blip. I mean, we did still see a 0.3% increase, which you know, pre-COVID would have been a pretty solid increase in wages. This is right now, obviously, we're getting used to wages being up pretty rapidly. And I would say, you know, still the year-over-year measure at 5.4% is very robust from a, a wage growth perspective. I would say the one downside within the April jobs report was that we did get a tick down in the labor market the forced participation rate. Um, you know, that had been climbing in recent months, so maybe it's not a surprise to see hopefully what was a one-time dip um, but it is still telling us that supply is still limited and that employers are still having a lot of trouble finding workers. And that should continue to, to lift wages still. You know, yet again, a little bit of a pause maybe in the April numbers. But I think overall, the, the, the market remains the same. Very tight conditions. The unemployment rate remains steady at 3.6%. That's, again, a very low level one of the lowest levels we had for the unemployment rate over the past 60 years. So I don't see anything changing dramatically yet. You know, maybe some early signs that, you know, maybe just hiring has slowed a little bit because mainly because there's not enough people out there to hire more so than demand has slowed. So I'm not reading that yet as a turnover in demand, but yet again, something to keep an eye on as we look out for the next couple months. You know, these 
data from the employment report are all based on surveys. And of course, the household survey and the employment survey are, are different. The household survey where the unemployment rate and the labor force participation rate is, is a relatively small survey. And I think you're right that the April dip in participation, probably just statistical anomaly. But what happens if it's not? What would be the implications of no further increases in the labor force participation rate? Or or worse, if, if it starts trending down again, what is what does that imply for the supply of labor? What does that imply for wages and ultimately the job market? Well, ultimately, that's what we've been hoping to see was that we'd see more people come back in. And, you know, I think given the wage environment and the, the plentiful job opportunities, that's still the most likely to occur. But you're right. If, if we saw those numbers dip and that meant that more people were on the sidelines and not coming back in, that would act as slow growth. Um, you know, businesses need workers to expand. They need workers to, you know, expand productivity and, and expand the availability of goods. And so if we don't get more people coming back in, that's going to put upper pressure on wages. It's going to force prices higher across the board and just add to, unfortunately, some of those inflationary trends that we're seeing across the economy. So hopefully that won't occur. I think that yet again, that's a one-time blip and that we'll see a continuation of the positive trends that we've seen in labor supply over the past, you know, four to six months. Um, but something that, you know, we're hoping to see some further improvement than what we're seeing right now. Um, the unemployment rate, 3.6%, it's pretty close to 50 year low, but it didn't go down. It doesn't necessarily go down every month, even in an expansion. And, and maybe that's simply tied to a one month blip in the labor force participation rate as well. But what, what do you see happening with the unemployment rate over the rest of the year? Are we pretty close to a bottom? Can it, you think it's gonna go down significantly more or will it start rising? I think we're getting pretty close to the bottom. You know, history shows us that it's hard to get much lower than this as we've had, you know, only a few instances over the past, you know, 60, 70 years where it's been lower than 3.6%. And that's usually reflective that there's always some sort of churn within the labor market. There's always some people that are between jobs going between things. So it's hard to get much lower than this. Now, that being said, I do think it will trend down a little bit. Um, we'll probably get below three and a half percent in the next couple months and maybe even dipping down close to three percent, which would be an extremely low level for the unemployment rate. But don't expecting large further declines from here. I think we're basically at the point where it's going to plateau out, maybe trend down a little bit. But still, this is reflective of now a pretty tight labor market. And if we go even lower, it's even get more tighter. So I think it's going to remain that's going to remain the story for the next couple of years is still a, a relatively very tight labor market, at least compared to what we're used to. Uh, David, I want to pivot back. Obviously, the, the Fed met this week, made a pretty big move of a 50 basis point rate hike. You know, when you look at these numbers from the job market and obviously layering in what's going on with inflation, what did we hear from the Fed this week and what does that mean going forward for Fed policy? Well, that, that 50 basis point hike in the federal funds rate was the, the first time that the Fed had tightened that much in 20 years. 20 years is, is a long time. You know, we didn't get new forecasts from the Fed. We will get those at the June FOMC meeting. So we still don't know what the Fed is thinking precisely going forward. But in, uh, in the press conference afterwards, Jay Powell strongly suggested that there would be at least a couple of additional 50 basis point hikes in the federal funds rate at the next two FOMC meetings. Um, that would mean 150 basis points in, in the space of three meetings, which is really 
pretty rapid tightening by the Fed. But what was interesting, and, and maybe this caused some of the, the equity market gyrations this week, uh, he was asked specifically about the chances of a 75 basis point increase in the federal funds rate. And, and while he didn't say they wouldn't do it, he, he moved away from suggesting that they were thinking about that so that the odds of a 75 basis point increase in the federal fund rate with pretty stringent tightening is, I think, a, a much lower probability. But still, two more 50s uh, on top of a 50 basis point increase that we just saw this week is, is pretty good tightening and moves the federal funds rate up, you know, 150 basis points in the space of, of three months and 175 basis points if you include the, the March 25 basis point move. They also said that starting in June, that quantitative easing not only has stopped, but it would start to be reversed. That quantitative tightening would begin at about $45 billion a month, going up to um, between 90 and 100 billion by the end of the year, in fact, by probably by September. With much of that, about two thirds of that on the treasury market side, about a third of that on the um, AAA mortgage-backed security side. So the combination of quantitative tightening and 50 basis point increases, at least for the next two meetings as well, um, from the Fed is pretty dramatic tightening early in a tightening move by the Fed. You know, sometimes the Fed starts slowly. You know, hopefully we can just tighten a little bit. Inflation will go down. We don't have to tighten further. And then if inf inflation doesn't go down enough, then the Fed tightens by more. But this is one of the few times that I can remember where the Fed has tightened a lot at the beginning. So, David, there were several comments made during Chair Powell's meeting about getting rates up to neutral, or, or in other words, a point where policy is not adding accommodation, but is really just letting the economy run through and hopefully seeing inflation slow. You know, after if we do see three, you know, 50 basis point increases here. Does that get us up to neutral or, or, or are we still a little higher to go from there? And ultimately, when do we see maybe more contractionary Fed policy when we look out to the forecast? You know, it's hard to precisely measure what the neutral federal funds rate is. It depends on lots of moving parts, all of which are estimates. If we get, say, two more 50s on top of what we have, you know, right now the federal funds rate range for the target is 75 basis points to 100 basis points. We get two, now we're talking about two more 50s, 175 to 200. That's probably below, almost certainly below, what most estimates of neutral would be. I mean, one way to look at it is uh, monetary policy may not actually be contractionary. Now, it can be tighter than it was, but actually contractionary until the federal funds rate is above the inflation rate. Well, right now the inflation rate is eight and a half percent. That is likely to come down, but we're still, when you get to two, two and a half percent, maybe even three percent, uh, the federal funds rate is still likely to be under the inflation rate and not actually contractionary. And what that suggests to me is, while uh, you know the Fed is is promising the market, or at least hinting strongly to the market that we're going to see a couple more 50 basis point increases, and then it will see what's going on. If, if inflation hasn't come down very much so that the real or inflation-adjusted federal funds rate is still fairly negative, 
then then while we may not see more 50s, although we may, the Fed won't be done tightening. And uh, I think by the end of this year, we're likely to see that target federal funds rate somewhere between two and a half to three percent, probably much closer to where the inflation rate is going to be by the end of the year, but still under it. And, and that suggests to me that we'll see more Fed tightening next year. You know, the farther out you go, the hazier the crystal ball becomes, both in terms of what the Fed is going to do and what inflation is going to do. But if inflation continues to move down next year, and, and that's certainly what we think it will do, then at some point in the first half of next year, we think that that the federal funds rate will move above the inflation rate or the inflation rate will move below the federal funds rate. And, and that will allow the Fed to stop tightening. And, and we think stop tightening soon enough so that the yield curve does not invert. And so we don't get a recession out of this. We may get a growth recession, what economists call a growth recession, which is a substantial slowing in, in the economy, but not enough to be considered a, a recession, but hopefully enough to get the Fed to stop tightening. But we'll see. You know, the, those those soft landings have not occurred very often and have never occurred when we've had a supply shock. So the odds don't favor that, but it's our view right now. Thank you for walking us through that, David. You know, you mentioned the quantity of tightening that was just announced and will commence um, at the 1st of June. That ramps up when we get to September. Um, how does that play into these this Fed decision making as we, you know, that is a tightening move in itself. Could we see potentially a pause uh, after we see an initial rise in the federal funds rate over the next couple months as they allow some of the impacts of this to flow through later in the year? You know, that's a very interesting question. The Fed has done a fair amount of research looking at the impact of quantitative easing and, you know, the flip side of that is quantitative tightening and the extent to which it can take the place of lowering or raising the federal funds rate. The whole point is to change liquidity in the economy. And certainly, that undertaking quantitative tightening, it removes liquidity from the economy in a different way, in a different part of the economy, different part of the yield curve than simply raising the federal funds rate would do. And, and that suggests that quantitative tightening can take the place of some raising of the federal funds rate that would normally uh, have occurred. So without quantitative tightening, we might very well see the federal funds rate by the end of the year at three and a half to four percent. That almost certainly would would imply a uh, an inverted yield curve. Well, maybe not, but but probably imply an inverted yield curve and perhaps a recession by the end of next year. So I think the Fed views quantitative tightening again another way to take liquidity out of the economy as a way to 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 take liquidity out without causing that yield cur curve to invert, which historically has been a almost perfect indicator of a recession perhaps a year later. And I think we'll wrap up, I think with the, the million dollar question here, David, how effective are these rate hikes going to be at actually reducing inflation? Um, there's a lot of factors that are causing inflation to go up. You think oil, you think the conflict in Eastern Europe, the shutdowns, uh, COVID shutdowns in China that are pushing up the inflation rate that really the Fed can't do much about. How effective are we going to be in this? And, and really, ultimately, what impact does this mean for the economy? Well, inflation, as with individual prices, is also supply and demand. And 
what you're talking about with these very specific things uh, that you mentioned are things that affect the economy's aggregate supply curve. And, and that's raised inflation. And the Fed tightening doesn't affect that. It affects the aggregate demand curve in the economy. Now, the Fed can offset all those negative inflationary impacts by reducing demand enough. But that would certainly imply that we would be going to recession at some point, perhaps in the next year or certainly in the next two years. And the key here is going to be how quickly those negative supply effects actually occur. You know, when will and by how much will supply chains heal? Will oil prices go down? Maybe there will be some resolution of the conflict in Ukraine or perhaps just other parts of the world pumping more oil. China right now is has lockdowns in a number of important cities, but that's probably not going to persist. So China should reopen. All those things could allow inflation to come down on the supply side. And hopefully then that means that the Fed won't have to bring demand down by really tightening significantly in order to get overall inflation down. But it really depends in part on things that are not in the Fed's control. All right. Thank you, David. I think we're going to wrap up there today. Lots going on, lots of things happening over the next couple of weeks and months. So be sure to check back in with us for our weekly podcast. Thanks, everyone. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition, or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide N and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2022. Nationwide.